Welcome to the Gambone Law Podcast, the podcast that legal and non-legal professionals turn to for the most recent information about law practice management, the latest legal news, and current events. My name is Alfonso Gambone, and I am the founder of Gambone Law, a criminal defense firm which represents clients throughout southeastern Pennsylvania and New Jersey. For over 10 years, our law firm has represented clients and their families during the most difficult and challenging times. I've used those experiences to write my weekly blog, newsletters, six books, and make over 250 instructional videos. I've started this podcast, however, to provide an inside look into the legal profession, talk about current events with lawyers and non-lawyers, and provide my insight on the latest news stories about persons charged with serious crimes. For more information about my law firm, visit GamboneLaw.com. If you're a lawyer seeking to go to your practice, or just network, or a person interested in a criminal defense attorney's perspective, the latest legal news. This podcast is for you. Today, I wanted to discuss a little bit about drunk driving in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And this is a very important topic, and it's a very specialized field that our law firm spends a lot of time in. And it's because a drunk driving case, unlike most criminal offenses outside of, say, traffic, and I don't really consider traffic offenses really a criminal offense, some might disagree, but drunk driving can happen to anyone. So drunk driving is a crime that crosses all racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic boundaries. And it doesn't matter if you're a lawyer, a doctor, a professional athlete, or just just the average person walking down the street. It, it, It really knows no one type of person. And that's the reason why drunk driving is not only very common, but it's an area that our law firm really focuses in on. And we do a good job of explaining the process to clients. And I've done this for clients from all different backgrounds. And the conversation we have focuses in on, yes, this is a very new to you, but we're going to get you through this process. It's going to be okay because we are going to do the work necessary to get you through. And this isn't something that's going to follow you for the rest of your life. You will get past this. This may seem like the worst thing that's ever happened to you in many cases. It's embarrassing. You're, you're, um, you're in a situation where you, you're arrested. Uh, you're in jail for maybe a few hours. And uh, you're scared. And you're worried about losing your job. Learning, worrying about being sued in some situations. Uh, but the job of our law firm is to get you through that process. And we do that through effectively managing that process for you and guiding you through the process and explaining to you the best course of action for your drunk driving case. I can think back to a time where I was out very recently with my wife. We had gone to dinner. I'd had a few glasses of wine. I'm not a big drinker, but I had a few glasses of wine and we left the restaurant. I got in my car, turned the car on. And I remember looking out of the corner of my eye, there was a police officer at the corner. And I said to my wife, I said, you know, you better drive. I said, because I know that if I just, you know, something could happen. I could maybe go a little too fast or perhaps not stop at the stop sign totally. This officer is going to stop me. I think I might come up drunk, even though I, you know, I didn't feel drunk. 
Uh, I've done articles on on things like tolerance versus impairment. And but I made that decision because of my background, my education, my training. So I knew kind of well, I know more than the average person in terms of what it takes to stop a car. Things like probable cause, root suspicion. I know that an officer can stop the car if he or she believes that the driver could be perhaps tired or a little impaired, and they don't necessarily need a traffic offense per se. So tolerance versus impairment. If you are a regular drinker and you have, say, a glass of of wine every night with dinner or a glass or a bottle of beer with dinner, uh, you build up a certain tolerance to that alcohol. And you can have two or three glasses of wine and be above the legal limit, but your tolerance allows you not to feel drunk. And unfortunately, people often tell me that when they're charged with drunk driving, I didn't even feel drunk. Um, In fact, uh, I just, I felt a little bit tired and, uh, but I, I wasn't drunk and their breathalyzer comes back at a 0.10, which really isn't, it's above the legal limit. But again, you may not feel drunk, but I always encourage people, don't go by how you feel, but tolerance versus impairment, don't confuse them. Impairment, the legal limit is 0.08, and it doesn't take a lot of alcohol to get over that limit. And I think that a lot of people forget that when it comes to drunk driving. And it's important to understand that if you're stopped for suspicion of DUI or DWI in New Jersey, you have to understand what will put you in the best possible position. And in my books, my blogs, my videos, I talk a lot about you know, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And the first thing is you know, being impolite or rude to the officer is never going to help your case. And this isn't a time to argue. This isn't a time to get into a constitutional debate with the officer. In fact, it's making your case worse for several reasons. You're giving the officer just more evidence to build a case that you are impaired. For every word that you say or for every motion that you take, he or she's going to say that you slurred your words, that you were off balance, even though you may not be slurring your words, you may just be agitated and not speaking clearly for some reason, or you may not be off balance. You you may simply just be so, again, agitated that uh, you're simply not acting the way you normally act. Number two, in most situations, uh, if, well, in every situation, if you are going to be arrested, the officer is going to ask you to step out of the car and ask you to do a field sobriety test. Now, this isn't the time to ask the officer whether or not he or she is certified in field sobriety testing. Now, um, in many cases, especially local police, they're not certified. State police usually are, local police for whatever reason aren't certified. It doesn't mean they can't give you the test, but what it does mean is that if your case goes to trial, we can argue something like that. So don't refuse the, the field sobriety test. Now, I do tell people that if you have some type of physical limitation, you want to tell the officer that. And if you are going to refuse a test, that's the reason why you're refusing the test because of some injury that 
doesn't allow you to say stand on one foot or walk in a straight line. And that's very common. I have to say that my own parents, if you ask my mother to walk on a straight line, she, she probably couldn't do it. She certainly couldn't stand on one foot. And even myself, who I, I try to keep myself in, in good shape, some of those tests, um, I may have an issue with balance. And that may go back to sports injuries or whatever. So if, you, if you're going to refuse the test, the, the field sobriety test, you have a right to do so. But you want to tell the officer why. Because if you don't, the first thing the prosecutor will say is judge the person knew that they were drunk, and that's why they refused the test. And it's called consciousness of guilt. It's argued very frequently. With regards to the chemical test, unlike the field sobriety test, you don't have a right to refuse. Do not refuse that test, whether it be a blood test or a breathalyzer test. I know a lot of people have a fear of needles and injections, and they say, you know, I don't want this. Uh, I don't want the state taking my blood. I am sorry, but there's just no constitutional protection against that. You don't have a con. I mean, you can refuse it, but the state. What people don't understand is you have a right to refuse, but if you refuse, driving is a privilege, not a right. They can and will suspend your license. So you can certainly refuse, and the officer is not going to jam a needle in your arm or force a, a breathalyzer down your throat, but automatically they're going to suspend your license administratively. So no matter what I do in a criminal courtroom, it's going to be irrelevant for the most part, unless I can show that the stop itself was unlawful and that the case itself never should have occurred because the officer didn't have raised up the car. But those cases are often very difficult to win. So when the, when, when the officer asks you to take the, the chemical test, you have to do it unless you're okay with the, the administrative suspension. Uh, there is no constitutional right. Finally, when you're in custody, you don't want to do anything to make the situation worse, like resisting arrest and obviously not putting your hands on the officer. You have to understand that if you touch a police officer in any way, that officer, if they incur any type of injury, it's going to be an aggravated assault versus a simple assault. Aggravated assault in most states, including Pennsylvania and New Jersey, is a felony in Pennsylvania. It's an indictable offense in New Jersey. Unlike the average person, the police officer is protected class. In addition, there's various misdemeanor charges that can be lodged, like resisting arrests, terroristic threats. All those are on the table. And again, this is another hurdle that your attorney has to overcome. So the best situation is don't be, don't be rude. Don't be impolite. If you're refusing the chemical test, I tell the just understand that it's administrative suspension. The field sobriety test, which is the, the, the walk and turn test, the one leg stand test, the horizontal gaze and stagmus test. If you're refusing those tests, tell the officer why you're refusing. And finally, when you're in custody, don't do anything to make the situation worse. And especially, finally, don't run from the officer. That's just the worst. That's the worst thing you could possibly do. Don't argue. Just go with the officer. And in most situations, uh, you will be out of their custody within you know, six to eight hours. And I know that sounds like a long time, but it's from that point where you begin to speak to a lawyer about what you can do to minimize, if not eliminate, 
this case. And that's an important point that I bring up in a lot of my blogs, my videos, my newsletters, that you speak to a lawyer because you're going to someone who's handled hundreds of these cases and they know what to say and what not to say. And when you're charged with a crime and you're not, and most people that I represent have never been charged with a crime at all, uh, it's a it's a new but very, very scary experience. And even people who are around you know, other professionals or in very high-stress environments, when they walk into a courtroom, um, it's, it's a different type of feeling. And um, it's, it's really in your best interest to have someone by your side who's been through the process. But drunk driving is something that people need to kind of understand the process from start to finish. And really what that means is from the time that you're arrested to the time that the case is over, you should be comfortable with each and every part of that process. Even though it's an uncomfortable process, the lawyer that, that, that you hire should be able to represent uh, you effectively in court and be able to answer all your questions. And, you know, finding the right lawyer, I encourage people to do their research. Look at, look at the person's background, the reviews online, uh, what they've written, what they've put out. Uh, we make it a point to be very open with our clients. We don't hide who we are. We make information available at no cost. I always say that information doesn't cost you anything. It's just how you use the information, the knowledge the, the practical application is why you hire a lawyer. So if you have questions about this, I, I encourage you to visit our website, gambonelaw.com. Give us a call at 215-755-9000 in Pennsylvania, 856-793-7429 in New Jersey. We answer the calls 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I want to thank you for listening to the Gambone Law Podcast, and we'll see you soon.